Hey everyone, welcome in to a, another daily editorial here on the KE Report. Corey and Chad here chatting with Brian London, editor of the Gold Newsletter and our host down at the New Orleans Investment Conference. Now, Brian, just a quick comment on gold here. It's a fairly boring week so far, but one thing that we've harped on, I know a lot of uh, the gold commentators have touched on, is gold's resilience here above $2,000, even with a generally stronger dollar and generally higher rates from at least a month ago. Gold is holding above $2,000 on the futures right now. It's just under, let's say, $2,050. Brian, what or who is holding up this gold price where, again, we haven't seen it dip below $2,000 this whole year? Yeah, you know, it's, it is it is impressive. We're all walking around really depressed, our heads hung low because nothing's happening in the mining stocks and really nothing is happening in gold. It's been boringly uh, steady above $2,000. As we speak, you know, the the market opened up, gold was down about $12 and it's slowly crept back. Somebody's buying it and it's just about flat for the days as we speak. And that's been the, the pattern over the past couple of months, really a few months, is that you see these speculators come in uh, who try to attack the, the the price, these bear attacks on the price, trying to drive it below that key level of 2000 and build on some sell stops, get some, some selling going in, triggering the sell stops and get it driven even lower. And it's not breaking below 2000. I'm really nervous about saying that because as soon as I say that, it may actually do it. You know, I may be jinxing it. But it's been very consistent. There's buying that's coming in and supporting the market. There's like an iceberg bid under the gold price above the $2,000 level. And I think it's coming from Asia, interestingly, because Asian buyers are typically price sensitive. They're bargain hunters. They buy on, on price dips. They don't buy when the gold price is near all-time highs. That evidence points towards central bank buying, which I think is still a big part of it. And I think a big part of that is Asian central bank buying in the gold price because it's not price sensitive and it's consistent and it keeps coming in. But we got evidence over the last couple of days or, or more information and data that the uh, withdrawals from the Shanghai Gold Exchange, which is the best proxy we have for domestic gold demand in China, those withdrawals were at the highest, second highest level ever last month. So we're seeing tremendous, what appears to be retail buying in China. Um, and again, that is atypical for when the price is near an all-time high. So that's very interesting. And I think part of the part of it is the the economic troubles that China is undergoing, and it may be the uh, Chinese buyers are looking at a, uh, a what the Chinese government will be coming up with in terms of monetary accommodation and fiscal accommodation and perhaps the inflationary repercussions thereof. And they're buying gold for those reasons. But interestingly enough, the Western investors are not participating in gold right now. They're even dumping gold in the gold ETFs. Yet the price remains stubbornly above that key $2,000 level. Well, Brian, we hear often from a number of different 
sector focused people and even people outside the sector saying that when gold finally breaks to new all time highs to 2100 plus, that's when you're really going to see people pile in. But I've had a handful of people email me just this week and the end of last week asking, is that really enough, though? I mean, think about it. We're at 2050 right now and nobody cares. Is adding $50 and getting to 2100 suddenly going to flip on the light switch for people? Or a lot of people have asked, isn't it going to be a lot higher gold price? We need to finally get some people in the generalist community excited. Something like 2300, 2400. I'd love you to weigh in on that. Is breaking 2100 enough? Is adding $50 more from where we're at now enough to get people interested? Yeah, that's a great point, Shed. I have been one of those people saying $2,100, yet as time goes on, I'm thinking we may need a bit more. It's just that if you look at the charts, the the previous highs were around 2063, 2065, thereabouts. Then over the last couple of months, we got to 2072, then 2080 and change. And the closer we get to that 2100 without breaking through, I think that that upside hurdle, you know, the hurdle we need to get to needs to get a a bit higher as well. But we do need to get out of this range because this is the fourth or fifth time that we've been in the 2050 to 2075 range without really breaking through. So from a chartist standpoint, you want to show that this is a new trading level and we need to get there. The good news is that the mining stocks, you know, are at all time lows relative to the gold price. And they are at, at bombed out levels like they were around 2000 when gold was at multi-year lows. Now with the gold price at these levels, um, as I always say, the market doesn't care where the, the price is of any asset. It cares where the price is going. So at these levels, with the gold price near all-time highs, if we can prove to the generalists that we have an up an uptrend that seems uh, sustained, and really, if it's for the right reasons, it's if it's because the Fed is pivoting, but because we're seeing monetary accommodation uh, coming down the line, then I think that will be enough to get the generalists in. If we have just a few weeks of an uptrend for those monetary reasons. I think that'll bring them in. But you're, you're right. It may be a bit over 2100 right now. It may be closer to, to uh, 2150. To your point, Brian, we just need an uptrend here. And when gold does get to some of those all-time highs, we need to follow through and have a couple consecutive days, weeks even better, of moving higher rather than reversing right away. Let's move on to some of the companies then. A lot of the precious metals companies are struggling right now. But when we asked you off, Mike, any companies that have your eye, you outlined a handful of companies that have defined resources, are in pretty much tier one jurisdictions, but seem to be at the stage where if they add uh, more resources, does it really capture the market's attention? Or do they need to go more into de-risking, try to bring in some sort of strategic or just somebody to, to build the mine, whether that is a takeout focused on these companies, there seem to be a lot of them right now. So are there simply too many companies with resources in the ground or does it come down to the fact that we need more financing to come into these established plays? Well, I I think that it is a a real opportunity in these kinds of companies that they have uh, 
in a normalized market, they would be selling for four to five times the levels they are now because they have big value that's obvious. And at higher metals prices, and importantly with an uh, identified uptrend in metals prices, you're going to get them bid up, bid up to more normal levels, which would be, again, a multiple of where they are now. These companies, you know, the, the, they don't really need the money right now. Every company out there in the junior mining sector, of course, could use some money at the right price. But the sector right now is divided into the haves and have-nots. And what we're looking at, what you're talking about now, are those companies that are the haves. They can get financed. They can get money to advance their projects. They would, of course, like to do it at better terms at higher share prices, but at least they can uh, advance to some degree. And, and what they're doing right now, I find increasingly, is de-risking their projects and making those projects more attractive to the, the big producers who eventually are going to be the buyers. And what they're doing in that process is setting themselves up as the natural competitive bidder against those major companies and that they could always just develop those projects themselves. Now, the retail investor doesn't typically like that, doesn't like the timeframes involved in that. But I think it's important for companies, companies like Beasla Silver, uh, like Banyan Gold, that they can position themselves as having the ability to, well, if you're not going to pay enough for me, if you're only going to offer a 20% premium to the levels we're trading at now, we'll just keep working the project and eventually we'll produce it ourselves. Yeah, Brian, I find this such an interesting debate that goes on in the marketplace. When a company becomes an advanced explorer with resources defined or even a development stage company where they're de-risking it through permitting, through metallurgical work, uh, moving it through economic studies, the PEA, the PFS, the FS. There's a point where it used to be that companies got a premium every time they crossed a milestone. So if they had a resource, that was factored in. If they got the first stage of the economic study, the PEA in place, they had a higher multiple and so on as they moved down the uh, economic uh, study food chain and they de-risked the project. Right now, companies have spent a lot of money doing resource estimates and economic studies. And sometimes they've been selling events like you've joked on our show, Brian, they put their uh, head out of the foxhole and they got shot <laughs> because everybody yeah. goes, oh, I, I forgot about that company. But now that they put out an economic study, I'll sell it. Well, at one point, wouldn't you think that all this work these companies have done is going to get re-rated by the marketplace in a better sentiment environment? Have they set themselves up for uh, a re-rating or is that just a pipe dream from investors? Yeah, I, I think they are setting themselves up for a re-rating. I think they're going to be the first to move when we get, again, that sustained uptrend in the metals prices and you know the sustained uptrend in gold, which I think will drive everything else. But, you know, you, you do make a good point that that valley of death in the Lasan curve has now been extended toward the front end to include, you know, PEAs even and resource updates and the like, because there's only so much they can do. You know, a, a company that has a multi-million ounce gold deposit that is economic at current prices and has great leverage to rising prices they don't get that much more love in the market or re-rating if they add another million ounces that a major company coming in looking at the data has already assumed that they could do, could get with more drilling. They really are stuck in a position where the best thing they can do is preserve cash, 
do some of the work that de-risks the project and doesn't burn through all of that cash and then get ready to really hit it hard when the market turns. There's a lot of those companies out there. You know, I mentioned Visa Silver. It actually isn't one of those companies. It's aggressively drilling and uh, it has the money to do that. So it's kind of, uh, um, you know, an exception to that rule right now. So do you think investors really just need to understand that these companies, instead of maybe getting taken over, might need to go down that development construction route? Yeah, they, they will at least have to work toward that. You know, one of the crimes of, the, of this market, as long as it's lasted, is that there have been companies out there that have done great work, built up great deposits, and were sold to majors at maybe just, number one, only about a 20% premium to their share price, and two, at about half of their peak share price levels, something like, you know, Sabina Silver and Gold was one of those examples. You know, they did not get sold anywhere close to their peak share price in their, their history. Yet, you know, they were taken over by a major. So I, I think if companies, junior companies can insulate themselves and outlast the market and get into the next cycle, with fairly full treasury and a resource that stands out amongst amongst the crowd, I think that's what they need to do. They need to basically play rope-a-dope in this kind of a market and get ready for it to turn. Well, just one more follow-up on the same theme. You know, it'd be everybody's hoping for MA that eventually they get taken out, except for, as you mentioned, a lot of times after the share price is very depressed, the valuation is very depressed, they have a take under instead of a takeover, Brian, where the people that have been in that stock for a while leave on a whimper, we leave on a fizzle where even though there's a premium to where it was trading and that maybe recoups some of the losses, sometimes people aren't even breaking even or if they're making a profit, it's not that multi-bagger return they were hoping for on a quality project. And sometimes these are the best projects that are getting taken over. So should more companies consider bringing on the team to just build themselves and not play for that M&A takeout, but actually staff up, get the expertise in to actually become mine builders or is that flirting with disaster? No, I think they need to. I don't, you know, what we're talking about here is making the visible steps to a major, to show a major that we are working toward that. We are de-risking it and we are progressing toward production. And it really is, in most cases, just a bluff. But still, in doing that, you're doing some of the work for the eventual major that will buy the company. You are de-risking it and you're creating the kind of data and and you're getting the kinds of permits and things that will have to be done eventually that should add value and should add to the takeover price uh, and to the allure of the company for a major. So, yeah, it, it may be a bluff, but who's to say? You know, there are companies out there that actually did that and kept their company valued at a premium to the peer group all along the way and just ended up going into production because that was the best option when it was all said and done. And, you know, it's, it is the surest way to build value if you can build that team to do it because the value is in the ground. And if the market doesn't recognize it, well, then just start producing cash flow that the market eventually does have to recognize. Oh, I'm sure these companies would love to get into production. The problem right now is their market cap is so low compared to what it's going to cost to go into production that they need to find a way to finance it. It's what we've been hearing for a couple of years now, actually, is how we go about financing some of these assets that seem like they should be built, but kind of seem to be stuck at this stage. 
Brian, thank you, as always, for your time. Interesting discussion, and we'll chat again with you in a couple weeks. Brian, have a great rest of your week. You too. Thanks, guys.